Well, I want to encourage you to uh, turn to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And uh, with this section, uh, we are also going to be looking at uh, Luke chapter 12. And uh, I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open, be looking at this. But I first want to tell you a little story about uh, a Russian author named Tolstoy. Anybody heard of the guy? Um, Tolstoy tells a story of a, of a rich peasant who was never satisfied. Sound like any of us? Uh, a rich peasant who is never satisfied. And he always, this guy, always wanted more and more and more. And he heard of a wonderful chance that to, for him to get more land, more prosperity. And for a thousand rubles, I don't know what that means in today's economy, but for a thousand rubles, he could have all the land he could walk in one day. So if he could just walk around the perimeter of this land, it would be his for a thousand rubles. So in his mind, he goes, that is a deal. If I could just, in one day, walk around as much land as I could, that would be mine for a thousand bucks. Great deal. So what he did, he said, all right, I'll pay you the money, and I have from sunup to sundown. As soon as the sun is down, wherever I am at, that is as much land as, as I can have. So he, he got up early. He prepped himself. He, maybe he even did a, a little bit of a workout that morning, got his cardiovascular going. Who knows, beforehand he could have been working out. You know, it's kind of like the Chicago Marathon. I, I'm going to run as much as I can. So he got up early in that morning, and his greed drove him just a little further as he saw a new territory. He set off in the morning, and he goes, Oh, look at a little bit further. He got to that point, he goes, a little bit, look at that land, that land looks great. And he kept on going and going and going and going. All of a sudden he realized that it was getting late in the afternoon and the sun was on its way down. And he was out, far out. And he realized that he had to be back in a certain point by sundown or he would have absolutely nothing. But he had to go a little bit further. Just a couple more steps further. Because I've trained, I'm ready to go, I can, I can make it. And there was a point where all of a sudden it clicked. I've got to get back. I've got to get back to my point. And he started running. And running, his greed for more pushed him hard to get back to that spot. Finally, he saw his starting place. And his heart was beating like it had never beat before. Sweat just pouring out of his body. He was gasping for breath, and he gave it his everything as he plunged to the, the starting point, his finishing point, and the sun went down. He collapsed and died. His servant took a spade and dug a grave he made it just long enough and wide enough, and he buried him. The title of Tolstoy's story is, How Much Land Does a Man Need? And he concludes by saying, six feet from his head to his heels was all he needed. 
It was a story written, written in uh, the late 1800s, but it speaks to our time today. But God's word is even far richer, far more true. So let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting at verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produces envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived in the truth, imagining that godliness is a means for gain. Now there is great gain in godliness with what? With what? Contentment. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I think it's true for us uh, that, and I know it's true for me, so I'm assuming it's true for you. Uh, I buy into a need for more. And I'm assuming it's true for you. Yes? It's true for you? Yeah. Whether it be a need for nicer things, bigger homes, better this, better job, better, we, we all had this, this desire to have this because this would really fill me. These things would fill my, my deepest needs and my deepest desires. And we all fall for it. Hook, line, and sinker, one way or another. If I have this college degree, if I have this job, it will bring me to the next level of satisfaction and the next level of contentment in my life. We all have it. One way or the other. That we desire these things, these ways of life. It can be toys. It can be relationships. It can be financial needs. It can be family needs. And we're striving for these things, hoping that it will bring me contentment now and in the future. Just uh, this past week, my wife and I sat down uh, with our financial um, advisor. Not that we have a, a gajillion dollars at all, but he's saying, you know what, you got, Paul, you have got a plan for the future, because you know what, once you retire... You want to enjoy life. Once you retire, you, have, you want to be able to enjoy life. And, you know, we're sitting behind this table, and the first thing that I do is, <clears throat> to Laura, and she goes, 
Like we had this cue of, did he just say that? And he's a godly man. But how easily even godly people, Christ followers, fall into this need to plan for the future so we can enjoy life. And the Apostle Paul has something very, very pointed to say about our frenzied lifestyle, our, our need to work hard to get things and have things a certain way. So the first question we have got to wrestle with is first, on, for you to be honest with yourself, is are you a contented Christian? Really? Are you deeply content with Christ? If that is all that you had in this lifestyle, in this world that you live, in this time that God has given you, can you honestly say that you are so content with Christ and what He has given you? No. I I would say that most of us, it's like, well, this is a really good sermon. It's a good idea. It's kind of stirred some things in me. Maybe I've got to work harder at this. I've got to work harder at that. But at the end of the day, are we truly, or even in this moment right now, can we say that, man, all that I need is Christ? Sovereign Grace Ministries puts out, has this song called, All I Need is Christ. Is that, that almost sounds foreign, doesn't it? All that I need, all I need for right now, in my, in my greatest success, in my greatest pain, all I need, or in my mundane in-between, all I need is Christ. Do our lives communicate that? The way that you work, the way that you talk, the way that you relate with one another, is your greatest contentment found in Jesus Christ? Or, as a Christ follower, is your contentment found in everything else that the world has to offer. And our text this morning shows that God has called His people, all of us, to a life that is marked with contentment. And becoming a godly person honestly brings us great pain. It can bring us great pain. Not necessarily in the the material realm, as some of the false teachers were, uh, in Paul's day, were saying, but it also brings us in the inner person. And part of the gain of godliness is found in contentment. So how do we, how do we gain contentment? And I, I want to just be honest with you this morning. Um, if you are going to be looking for a, a three-step program to becoming content in Christ, you're not going to find it this morning. Just, just apply this principle, this principle, this principle. Oh, bada bing, bada boom. I'm now content in Jesus. And every time I find myself discontent, I need to just go back and remember these three principles. It's a bunch of hogwash if you're going to look for those kind of things. Fill in the blank and, oh, I just have to do this. That comes, is what's called works righteousness. You're working towards becoming righteous. Becoming right with God. Just do these things. The Christian life is far more complex than that. So, contentment. 
This is really what is going to be our, our theme for this morning. Contentment comes from having the priority of godliness, not gain, and the perspective of the eternal, not temporal. So contentment comes from our focus and our priority on godliness, not gain, and our perspective of the eternal, the long-term, the the eternal, as opposed to the temporal, the right now. So first, contentment comes from having a priority of godliness. Paul, in in verses 3 through 5, confronted the false teachers who supposed that godliness was a means of gaining. Godliness is a means of gaining. And even in our Christian culture, subculture, there's this, if you just become more godly, if you just do this, God is going to do what? He's going to bless you. He's going to give you this, he's going to give you that. There's churches around us who preach that kind of a gospel. If you become godly, he is going to bless you financially. He's going to bless you in your health. I lived with a guy for about four or five years here in Mokina, who was a quadriplegic. And he attended a local church uh, after he had this terrible accident on a church mission trip. And the pastor said, if you just have enough faith, God is going to bless you and heal you. And that goes against the gospel. God's greatest desire is not what we gain. His greatest desire is contentment for godliness. But Paul presents two choices of masters for us when we talk about godliness and gain. Two masters, and even Jesus pointed this out. It's either God or mammon, or money. If you look at at verse 9 in contrast with verse 11, a man of God must flee the desire to get rich and pursue godliness. Fleeing and pursuing are two opposites. Two opposites. And you have to take your pick. You can pursue godliness or you can pursue material gain. There's only two options. And you may not choose both. Do you do you ever really wrestle with the radical exclusivity of Jesus' words? Listen, it's either me or the world. It's not a 40, 60, 60, 40. Sometimes it's 50, 50. On my really good days, it's really 80, 20. Jesus is saying, I, I want radical exclusivity. I want you to pursue God or this. And there's even, you, you read in the, the churches in, in the book of Revelation. Man, what are you, hot or cold? What are you? I, I, this lukewarm-ish stuff in the middle, garbage. I want you hot after me. Where's your heart in the pursuit of me? Because we cannot serve them both. But most of us, honestly, like to compromise. I'd like to, man, but I really enjoy the way this feels. I enjoy having a wallet that's thick with more than just singles. 
I like, I like a credit cards or even my bank account that is thick and full. Oh, that just gives me a lot of safety and security and feelings of ah, love and really everything is nice and safe. And Jesus is saying, uh, listen, I have n- there's nothing wrong with having material possessions. Nothing. I am not calling you to vows of poverty, but I am calling for where is your allegiance and your contentment found? Is it found in your bank account or is it found in me, the one who provides all good things? If God is truly my master, if Jesus Christ is truly the Lord of your life, then truly I find contentment in him, in pleasing first and foremost Jesus Christ in all that I do. And it will show up. It will show up in how much I give to his cause. Ready? I'm going to say it again. If I find contentment in pleasing Him, and Him alone, it will show up in how I, you, we spend our money, and in how much I give to His cause. So let me address tithing. I think tithing is a terribly misleading concept. Some of you are going, thank God, because all I got is a buck today. And this is why it's misleading. If you follow God, you just don't have to pay him off with your 10%. Okay? You you just don't have to pay God off with your 10%. Some of you are going, thank God, because I pay him off with my 1%. 10% seems way too big. Way out of order. But here's the fact of the matter. He owns it all. Absolutely every red cent that you might have. He owns it all. You just manage it. You manage his, his resources here on this earth. An outsider should be able to look at your checkbook and be able to determine who your master is. Anybody want to have that kind of openness here, accountability here in this group? Not to, exactly. You know, so th- he says, listen, I have given you everything, everything that you have. And some of you are going, I don't have much. But what you do have is his, and he has given it to you as a gift, and he owns it all. And the, the tithe is, is, honestly, it's misleading, and it's really, for some of us, a security thing. You know, we go, all right, I'll give my 10%. The rest of mine is, that's theirs, mine to spend as I want to. Oh, no. Even that, God says, that isn't even mine. So, what, how we control our finances, what we do with it, says something about what we believe.
Are we truly seeking first God's kingdom? Are we truly seeking His kingdom first and His priorities, His dreams, His desires for, for our world? Are we actively participating in His redemption and reconciliation of all things to Him? Or are we using these resources and these means to satisfy me and give me comfort and me to find contentment here? Or do we find contentment in His world, His realm, His kingdom, His ways? And the use of my money and things do reflect my priorities. Also, we have got to realize that contentment from having the eternal perspective, not the temporal perspective, is critical. Verse 7 addresses that, that, that very thing. For we've been brought into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. Some of us, our parents kind of misquote that, you know. I brought you into this world and I can take you out. Yeah, good try, Mom and Dad. And you may have that feeling. But the, scripturally, it, it's this idea, listen, you came in naked and helpless, and you're going to go out helpless and with nothing. And so we need to have... a our temporal view of how do I control and work and do all these things and to give me security and safety and contentment, it's missing out on this, this eternal perspective. If you look, there's just so much. Luke 12. Um, okay, I'm just going to go there very, very quick. Luke 12, there's... there's Two parables, or Jesus is talking about two, the, the same thing that is going on in 1 Timothy 6. Uh, someone in the crowd, Jesus was having kind of this open air kind of forum, and someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You tell him. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So the sum of your life, this life that God has given you, how long it is, how short it is, I don't know, you don't know, the sum of your life is not calculated by what you have at the end of the day. How many toys, how, many, how big your house is, how much you paid off your house, although, although that is an important thing that you continue to pay down your debt. It, your life's value is not marked with what you have. It's not marked by that. And Jesus says something... And be on your guard against all covetousness. All covetousness. Have you ever thought about how we rank sins? What, what, for, let's just talk about mainstream Christian, let's go conservative, because I'm pretty conservative. What is probably the number one uh, sin that we would put on the ranking board? A abortion? Somebody else said something else. 
murder, anything else? Sexual immorality, adultery. You know, we put all these things into say, okay, number one, this one. Oh, number two, this one, definitely. But, and how many of us really have uh, struggled with all those things? You know? It's a lot easier to say, murder, adulterer, oh, this, oh, yeah, them, those people over there. But if you look carefully, in, uh, if you look up a reference to greed or covetousness, which is really the same thing, you'll find uh, most often it's mentioned right next to sexual immorality. So your greed and your covetousness, my greed and my covetousness, is right there next to sexual immorality. And sexual immorality, just so you know, covers all kinds of bases, and it's not just about marital unfaithfulness, and it's not just about homosexuality. Dare I mention, men, the other untalkable sexual immoral sin that nobody wants to mention in church? Okay, masturbation. It's right next to they're mentioned right next to each other. 1 Corinthians 5.11 is that Paul even says we should not even associate it with any so-called Christian who is covetous. Paul said it. Anybody else covetous in here or greedy? I- I'm going to have to reduce my time that I spend with you pastorally. In, in Colossians 3.5, Paul says that greed is equivalent to to idolatry. So our greed is a serious sin and it'll create a number of problems. And we see here that one of the problems it creates is it creates family problems. It creates relational problems. There's brothers who are fighting over inheritance. Greed creates internal family problems. If you're married, you know what I'm talking about. Control of family finances What's yours is yours, what's mine is mine. You know, who's making more, who's not, you know. What's mine is yours, and yours is mine. And instead of this fighting internally about who's making more, or whose checkbook this is. And there's also greed. Well, another thing greed does is it creates uh, just perverted values. Perverted values. If we read on, then Jesus in verse 16, then he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced it plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and all my goods. And I shall say to my soul, soul, You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the many things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who lay up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. Our values change, often with greed. 
And one of the sad things, as, as even Laura and I were sitting and looking at our financial plan for, for the future, so that we could be comfortable and really have the easy life, I read somewhere that the average life expectancy of the uh, American male after retirement is about three years. Dang, huh? Yeah, three years of a lot of fun. Get it all done. Spend it all. So, so hear me. It, it's not wrong to plan for retirement. In fact, it's wise. Scripture even talks about our need for, for planning for our family and caring for our family. But we've got to be careful that it's not for the sake of our greed and our contentment. But even an eternal perspective will result in freedom from anxiety. If you read uh, 12, chapter 12, Luke 12, 22, all the way to 34, Jesus tells a story. Look, look at the lilies of the field. Do, do they fret? Do they freak out? No. Look at the birds of the air. Do they toil or fret? No. Quit being anxious about these things. Yeah, there's wisdom about planning and working hard. But it, having an eternal perspective frees us from anxiety. Because some of us get quite anxious. Don't we? Quite anxious. So the key to overcoming anxiety with regard to financial matters is just given to us in verse 31 of chapter 12. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Seek his kingdom now. Seek his kingdom now. And also... Seek his kingdom, his eternal kingdom. And what are those things that we want to send on ahead? It's our godliness. It's our contentment in Christ. Enjoying him richly now in his kingdom. And enjoying him eternally. So how, how can we know 